0: I'm Peter Beinart. I'm a non-resident fellow at the Foundation for Middle East Peace, and I'm very lucky to be joined today by Michael Svard, who is um, uh, one of Israel's preeminent human rights lawyers and the author of a very important new book called The Wall and the Gate, Israel, Palestine, and the Legal Battle for Human Rights. And um, we're here at City University of New York, and because um, we're lucky that uh, Michael has come to join us in New York for A couple of days. Michael, welcome.
1: Well, it's such a big pleasure being here. Thank you very much, Peter.
0: So, I thought we maybe would start by just um, asking you to lay out some of the legal realities that exist in Israel. I think that even Americans who follow Israeli politics somewhat, you know, they read the New York Times, whatever, I think often really don't understand. And I myself really struggle to understand actually what the legal regimes, what the legal rights are that that govern Palestinians. Um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about Palestinians in the West Bank, Palestinians inside Israel proper, Palestinians in East Jerusalem, Palestinians in Gaza, and try to explain a little bit for, you know, someone who, who doesn't understand this, what rights they have and, and essentially how they're governed. Well, basically you asked me to...
1: Um give a seminar that usually would take a whole <laughs> academic year but I'll try to summer to summarize it um, Israel proper israel in within the uh, 1948 borders the 1949 ceasefire lines of um, the rodus accord um is a, is a country that uh, of um, that includes 20% palestinians who are citizen nationals of of uh, the state of israel they are Uh, eligible to vote and to be elected to the Israeli parliament. And uh, uh, they're supposed to be uh, equal in rights uh, to Israelis who are uh, of different nationality, Jewish or otherwise. Um, They are discriminated against, and that's a different story, but they are uh, equal citizens of the state of Israel. Um, In 1967, Israel has conquered um, uh, territories that were in before that, before the occupation were um, were controlled by Jordan. That's the West Bank by Syria. That's the Golan Heights. Sorry, Jordan. It's the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Um, Syria. That's the Golan Heights and Gaza and the Sinai Peninsula, um, which were controlled by Egypt. And uh, since then, um, in the fifty years that have passed, um, some changes have made legal changes Israel has made to to different territories. First, I'll say that under international law, all these territories that Israel has has conquered in the 1967 war, which is known as the Six-Day War, um, are under a regime that is called the regime of belligerent occupation. The international law has a field, um, laws of war, and a subfield that tries to regulate the conduct uh, of an army that is uh, occupying a foreign territory, and that uh, field is called the laws, international laws of belligerent occupation. And again, under international law, and there is a complete consensus among scholars and also uh, in the international community that um, all these territories—East Jerusalem, the West Bank, Golan Heights, uh, and the Gaza Strip—are under um, occupation by Israel. Gaza is a. Is a Specific and uh, complex uh, uh, case because of the disengagement, but I leave that aside. Um, Israel has annexed officially, and the Ura, uh, East Jerusalem, and the Golan Heights. Um, this is a, vi- a clear and direct violation of a very clear and uh, prohibition that knows no exceptions in international law. Since na- since uh, the formation of the UN after the um, the Second World War. Um, a central uh, principle of international law was that sovereignty is not acquired through force. And that is why the the entire international community has not uh, recognized the annexation of East Jerusalem uh, and the annexation of the Golan Heights. Um, Even the Trump declaration, the recent Trump declaration on on, on Jerusalem, um, as far as I can tell, did not recognize the annexation of East Jerusalem. It recognized that Jerusalem is... Uh, the capital of the state of israel in any event in jerusalem there are about three hundred thousand palestinians today live there and they were uh, granted residency uh, status in uh, israel um, they're not citizens of the state of the state of israel they have path to citizenship if they choose it's a very difficult includes a lot of red tape uh, but most of them choose not to because they are not Israelis and they don't want to be Israelis. So their status
0: is permanent residence. Of Just parenthetically, do most of those who who apply end up getting Israeli citizenship or not?
1: Israel puts a lot of uh, uh, obstacles and a lot of barriers, both uh, legal and procedural, on Palestinians who ask for citizenship. It, Israel tries to maintain um, and to, uh, to have... Uh, the, the international community believe that um, Jerusalemites, East Jerusalemites can acquire a, uh, a, a citizenship in Israel. The fact is that uh, most uh, um, Jerusalemites, East Jerusalemites who ask, who apply for Israeli citizenship are either denied or um, their application is being dragged for years and years. But there are uh, several thousands of Jerusalemites that have acquired citizen- Israeli citizenship throughout the years. Now so as as permanent residents of the state of Israel their status in their sit, in their homes in their in their uh, city is dependent on presence because unlike citizenship residency uh, it can be stripped and revoked if if you leave uh, if you if if you change your center of life so Palestinians from Israel who live for long uh, um for for studies you know, they go to study medicine for seven years, and then uh, maybe meet uh, a spouse and stay for another three years. When they want to uh, return, they find that Israel has revoked their residency, um, and that's a big problem for East Jerusalemites. They have to cling to the to to the city where they were born and stay there in order to uh, to maintain their status. In the West Bank, um, the 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 Palestinians who live in the West Bank are not considered neither citizens nor um, residents of the state of Israel—they are um, um, there—are people under occupation, and they have absolutely no civil rights. Uh, international law acknowledges that uh, um, a situation of a reality of occupation uh, is a reality that is non-democratic, in which the occupying army uh, is empowered by international law to uh, to apply all powers of uh, all. Three arms of government: the military commander is the legislator of the occupied ter- territory. Uh, he uh, or she—I mean, up till now we had only he. Um, the military commander is also the judiciary and the and the executive. Uh, but the but the international law maintains that this is a temporary situation. That occupation must be that the, that the occupier must seek uh, an end. To occupation through negotiations through bona fide negotiations with with the occupied and reach an agreement that in consent that would uh, uh, decide what what is the permanent status of the occupied territories in israel uh, has uh, throughout the years done everything in its uh, power uh, to do the opposite to perpetuate the occupation to change the demography of the of the occupied territory to make Huge long term uh, changes in the occupied territory. Um, and so um, we reach to this day where we're 50 years uh, after the conquering of the of the West Bank. There are people who are my age. I'm, I'll be 46 in April. Who had not uh, known one day of independence and liberty who need permits for everything in their life. If if a Palestinian wants to go on on on, on, a, on, a, on a week for a weekend to London or Paris, they need a permit from the Israeli military commander. If they want to build a house in the rural area of Palestine they need a, a building permit from the from the Israeli military commander if they want to demonstrate they need a permit from the military commander of the West Bank the Israeli military commander they are not represented in any of the of the institutions that govern their life and decide their future and their fate and control the norms that uh, are applied to them now international law thought of a very temporary situa- a, a, a regime like that, that would take a year, two years, three years. International law did not prescribe a, an exact calendric timing, uh, but the idea was that we have to aspire to end this temporary situation. And here we are already with an occupation that lasts uh,
0: more than uh, two generations. So one of the things that I think is comp- many Americans struggle to understand is how— the creation of the Palestinian authority fits into that overarching legal regime right so if you live in the areas of the west bank where most of the palestinians live um you are under the you, you the palestinian author- you're under the control of the palestinian authority as well as the control of the israeli state so um and uh so how do th- how does the those two, how, do, how do those two two structures together influence uh, when, does, when does the legally as a Palestinian are you likely to be interacting with the Palestinian authority, and when are you likely to be interacting with the Israeli military?
1: Right. So um, the Oslo Accords, who formed the, the, which formed the uh, uh, established the Palestinian authority, uh, have done something that uh, in political philosophy is very strange. Um, it was clear that the Oslo Accords aspired to to create two states. And the Palestinians, would, in, in their state, would uh, exercise their um, right to, of self-determination, which is a right they have under international law. Uh, but since the Oslo Accords have not established a state yet, it was uh, an interim agreement that uh, unfortunately has not uh, um, ended up with a permanent agreement, but uh, an interim agreement, the, the, the Oslo Accords um, engineered a um, legal model According to which the Palestinian authority all the, the the Israeli occupation authorities have delegated powers to the Palestinian Authority so basically the Palestinian Authority according to those to, to the Oslo Accords their powers stem from the army from the Israeli army now what kind of powers they have they have powers to run the civilian uh, affairs of uh the, of the Palestinian uh, population to to run the clinics and uh, and uh, manage the the schools the school system and uh and uh, and and to take care of social affairs and uh, make sure that the commerce is working as as well as it should uh and Israel maintains the overall responsibility and at any point it can intervene now it's very convenient for Israel not to intervene because uh and 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 so oslo created a kind of a, a, an occupation deluxe instead of having a, a, in a, in in parallel to all the powers that uh, the occupying power has um, regarding the territory uh it has obligations towards the occupied people under international belliger- laws of belligerent occupation it has to take care of their needs it has to uh service uh their interests and uh, in the words of the Geneva, of the Hague 4th Hague, Hague Convention, it has to restore the civil life and the security in the occupied land. Now, Israel has uh, managed, through the Oslo Accords, to um, get away with, uh, or, or to strip itself from, from this uh, uh, work that, uh, an obligation that it had, and delegate it to the Palestinian Authority. In sum, if Israel wants to enter the palestinian authority you know i, I didn't want to get into the yeah. the different classifications yeah. there are three areas a b and c and basically the 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 um, palestinian authority is more or less governing area areas a which is the build-up area of the main uh, palestinian cities but even there israel uh, israeli forces uh, um uh, enter um, many times when they have a, an interest to arrest someone or to raid a certain uh, office, and I have many clients that have been raided by uh, Israeli forces uh, for different reasons. Um, so the Palestinian Authority is not does not have neither um, powers of uh, of uh, foreign policy, uh, powers of security uh, related to security, and even in the little. Um, um, areas that it has uh, authority, uh, it is under the overall responsibility and
0: uh, of, of, of the Israeli army. So let's just maybe say something about Gaza. You, you talked yeah. about Gaza as a complicated case. Um, um, uh, there's a perception you often hear in the American Jewish community that Israel evacuated Gaza and therefore essentially what's happened in Gaza is... The responsibility of the people of Gaza since yeah. then, and that they've screwed it up in various ways. Um, but um, how do you make sense of the of the legal and reality and the in the situation of rights today in Gaza?
1: So international law defines occupation as a um, as a situation in which an army has effective control over a territory that is beyond. The international recognized borders of the of the state that sent it. Um, it da- international law does not say what is what are the means and methods that this effective control is to, to be achieved. Now, all of us think of the classic example of an army that has boots on the ground, and that uh, the effective control is um, is uh, secured through soldiers and officers who can get anywhere uh, geographically in the occupied. Land, but it doesn't have to be that way, and I think that Gaza is the perfect example of um, of, uh, of, of a reality of occupation without permanent boots on the ground. Israel has indeed in the uh, has indeed pulled out of Gaza in the sense that we do not have a permanent land presence of either civilians or army in Gaza, but. We control the borders of Gaza, and of course, with, one of with the, Egypt too. Though, one right? of the borders is Egypt, but Egypt sealed that border. So we and we have a say about internet in, in, in our relationship with uh, Egypt. We have a we have a, 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 a we have a say on whether they allow people to go out and in from uh, the Egyptian border. We control the air and we control the sea. We control the entrance of goods to Gaza and the, and the export from Gaza. We control uh, who can go in and out. I'll tell you another thing. We control the uh, population registry of Gaza. Do you know what that means? That means that a person cannot be born or die in Gaza without our permission, without us registering it. If someone is born in Gaza and the, and the, and the Hamas government does not provide Israel with his or her detail, and we do not register it in the internationally recognized population registry of Gaza, that person is not a legal person and cannot leave Gaza, cannot go abroad, is not, does not exist uh, uh, outside Gaza.
0: So how does that, just, how does that actually practically work in terms of that? Does the Hamas send the information to the Palestinian yep. Authority and yep. the Palestinian exactly. Authority then sends it to We you have,
1: we have a, a, an intermediary, mm-hmm. we have a middleman, and that's, and that's the, the, the government in Ramallah. Um, and so uh, we um, update, we the Israelis, yeah. update the population registry of Gaza um, through the, the, the Ramallah government. Um, so it's true that our effective control over Gaza is completely different. Uh, and not as far-reaching as we have in, in, in the West Bank. Uh, but to say that there is no occupation on, over Gaza, it's just not true. Um, the idea of uh, the laws of belligerent occupation is to impose certain duties on whoever has effective control, because if, if that party has effective control, it can, uh, um, it can um, take care of that area or it can damage that area. And this is exactly the situation in Gaza in the relationship between Israel and Gaza. So most commenta- legal commentators would either say that Gaza is indeed an occupied territory or that it is a different form of occupation. And so, and this is what I would say, Israel has obligations towards Gaza only to the extent that it actually has uh, uh, effective control. We do not have uh, uh, obligations towards the the school system in Gaza because we do not have the practical ability to control uh, the schools, to build schools, etc. Now, there is one more aspect uh, of Gaza, because Gaza is not only an occupied territory. It is also a territory under siege. And it is under siege for the last 10 years, a very cruel siege of uh, uh, approximately 2 million people, 1.8 million people, who, uh, for the last decade, are um, barely, barely uh, keep alive or barely keep in in in, in, uh, um, Conditions that allow them to have, um, 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 you know, reasonable uh, life, and so that is another uh, legal um, uh, phenomenon. Siege is a phenomenon known uh, and a concept that is known under international law. And the fact that we uh, are in siege of Gaza also imposes certain duties uh, on us. And if uh, if a humanitarian crisis will erupt in Gaza, this is this is uh, our responsibility. It would be our
0: uh, guilt if that happens so as i'm sure you know you know many american jews or many israeli jews would listen to this and they would say it's all very unfortunate mm-hmm. um um but these are the re- these are the requirements of security mm-hmm. they're not pretty um but you have to maintain control of a population that um doesn't want your state to exist doesn't maybe doesn't want your population to exist And so you have to maintain control, whatever the international lawyers might want to say about it. So how do you respond to those who say that fundamentally these ugly realities are are the requirements of Israeli security?
1: Let's differentiate between Gaza and the West Bank for a moment. Um, I do not deny that it's not just the right, but the obligation of the Israeli government and Israeli forces to protect Israeli citizens, Israeli towns, Israeli cities uh and if and, and sometimes um uh, maintaining security means also violating rights of uh, of people who uh, present uh, risk to 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 those uh, people with that we protect but that argument um uh, presents an alibi it says well in fact everything that you see all these be- all these bad things that happen to Palestinians, the abuse that they suffer from their life that is miserable, and the fact that they not they do not enjoy freedom is because uh, of, of of security reasons. And I say, okay, so what about the settlements? what How can you explain the Israeli um, civilian presence in the West Bank, the colonization that is um, that is advancing and expanding rapidly? um and um and again not only in violation a clear uh, violation of, of of a of a prohibition that knows no exceptions in, in under international law which has a complete and 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 uh, rare um um there's a complete agreement among both scholars and, and and the international community that this is illegal even the international court of justice in its uh, um, advisory opinion on the on the legality of the separation barrier that Israel uh, built um 14 judges uh were in in uh, were um gave, gave the the the, uh, the ruling together and one the american judge Burgenthal, dissented but on that issue of of legality of settlement he joined the majority so we have a unanimous um uh, 15 court uh, panel that uh, declared it so I think the problem with uh, this thesis is that it doesn't uh, look to the evidence that uh, the colonization enterprise, the settlement project presents us with. The, uh, when, you, when, you, when you collect all these evidence that show uh, what Israel is doing, how much political, economical um, uh, capital it invests in colonizing the West Bank, you must reach a conclusion that um, the real story here is not security but a desire to uh, grab as much land from the West Bank as possible. And uh, I think that if I was in charge, if I would be given the task of uh, going to court and prove that uh, this is uh, this is the intentions of the state of Israel, it would be one of the easiest cases I would ever litigate.
0: Um- so that's a question maybe from the right. I think the a question I would imagine, a response from the left would be, um, you're making this distinction between the Palestinian citizens inside Israel and the West Bank, but isn't this all just one process, one ultimate um, Zionist process, right, which, which begins long before 1967, and ultimately... Um, uh, that it's not, it doesn't, it's not, if one wants to get to the root of the problem, one can't simply look at the West Bank. One has to look at the entire ideology of Zionism itself, right? I'm playing, this is a devil's advocate argument, but it's an argument that's growing, I think, to some degree among among Americans on the left. It says that the, the problem, that the symptom is, what you're talking about in the West Bank and Gaza, mm-hmm. the the root of the problem is an ideology which says this is a state for Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that fundamentally is incompatible with liberal democracy. And therefore, um, what must be dismantled is the entire regime but on both sides of the Green Line.
1: Um, I, of course, know that uh, argument. Uh, it's not uh, foreign to me. Um, and um, answering it needs um, some... Uh, open mind and open heart, uh, because if one cherishes human rights and the dignity of of the of, of the person, one has to ask, what do people want? If people would like one state um, with equal rights to all, that is uh, not uh, defined in any way as a homeland to any nation, but only to its citizens, I would be the first to say that this is the moral. Solution to the Israeli Palestinian or even Israeli Arab conflict. But the reality is different. There are 12 or 11 million people between the Jordan River and the sea, and the vast majority of them all want a nation state. Some of them want a Palestinian nation state, and some of them want a Jewish nation state. Now, uh, you, one can, one can uh, ignore it, but then uh, one also um, uh, doesn't uh, respect um, the, um, the aspirations of uh, the genuine aspirations of people who think that this is the way they can realize their uh, self-determination. So I would say, yes, there is a crisis with Zionism, to take a, um, a slogan that, <laughs> I, li- that <laughs> I like. A title that I like. Uh, There is a crisis with Zionism because because there are many definitions to Zionism. And if one defines Zionism as um, the idea that uh, that Jewish people um, would have a place where they can exercise their self determination, then I don't see how that uh, can be in direct contradiction. With uh, or violation of liberal democracy. Unless your definition of Zionism is that they are the only people who can exercise their right to self-determination in that area. Then, of course, you deny others uh, the same right that uh, you provide uh, to, to the Jewish people. So if Zionism is about excluding the rights of others in the same territory, and uh, having a uh, in this state that would be a home for the Jewish people, uh, a second class of citizens who are not Jewish, then I'm not a Zionist.
0: So I agree with pretty much everything you've said, but I let me ask a follow up question, which is, it I it's one thing to say we think need to think about a two state paradigm because both Jews and Palestinians, for whatever crazy reasons or good reasons. They're devoted to nationalism. But Jews and Palestinians are approaching this from very different positions, right? Right. So let's imagine that the polling moves in a direction in which Palestinians shift. Mm -hmm. And the Palestinians say, we think now we're better off going for one state. Presumably, we can be quite sure that the Israeli population is not going to shift in its view, right? Because it's doing well with the status quo. In that circumstance in which the two communities were not both desiring a state but actually one was and one, one was for a binational state and the other was not would that change your mind
1: If it is not a tactical position mm-hmm. that is meant to you know to be part of the chips of the of the negotiation mm-hmm. that would present an issue yes because we do have to ask ourselves what people that live in this territory and have a right to continue living here what do they want and how best to serve uh, eventually, a state is a tool, a tool to realize the talents and the pursuit of happiness of people. And uh, this is why it's so important to know what people want. Um, and, um, and I think that one of the problems of, of Oslo was that while it served the notion that we will provide the two people uh, the, uh, with, with uh, um, uh, realizing their um, um, aspiration for, um, for self-determination, it, it ignored the fact. That both peoples have strong links, strong historical, religious, cultural links, not to half of the land, but to all of the land. And we have to confront that thing. And I think that there are options how to, how to have two states, but allow the people to feel that they have a status and connection to all of the land. That, that, that Palestinians who live in Ramallah or in Nablus can visit Jaffa or Hebron, not as tourists, on the same way that Swiss people or French people uh, 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 visit there, and those Israeli Jews, me not included, but I know that there are, who want to pray in the Cave of Patriarch in Hebron, would know that they are free to 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 go to Hebron and pray there without need a need for uh, for for a visa from the Palestinian state. We have to think how um, this this land would remain one but will also accommodate two political entities in which the residents of the one land would be able to exercise their right of self-determination.
0: So you're one of, I think, the minority of Israeli Jews who spends a lot of... I'm
1: definitely one of the minority of Israeli Jews in every aspect possible.
0: But in this particular way, you're one of the minority in that you interact a great deal with Palestinians in a non-security relationship, right? Which is something... um, and so I wonder as someone in that position, what do you think as some that Israeli Jews don't generally understand about Palestinians because they don't interact as much with them as you do and what do you think that Palestinians don't tend to understand about israeli jews
1: i th- i 'll start with a second it's easier for me I, mm. I don't think Palestinians uh, understand um, the the Jewish phobias and I think that um, i don't think those phobias justify some of the um Crimes that we do, but I think they explain it, and I think that uh, w- understanding what um, what Israeli Jews um, how how they are be- what is the, the no- their notion of history, um, what is their their baggage of victimhood of uh, pers- being pr- persecuted for so many years, being victims of 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 uh, subjugation and fo- and of dispossession and of course of genocide. And under, and would, under, would make them understand more why we have such a fixation with security, why we keep on victimizing others and still thinking of, of ourselves as victims. And, and this is, I think, something that most Palestinians do not understand. By the way, the, those who understand the best are those who are in Israeli prisons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as for Israelis, Israelis don't understand what it means to be under occupation. Israelis have not most Israelis, and of course I, I'm the legal advisor of breaking the silence. I think those who do know what it means to be under occupation are those who served there, and some of them who, again, if they were self, if they have enough um, um, willing willingness to to have to have self reflection of over what they're doing and what uh, they encountered, then they uh, they understand well. But most Israelis have not uh, have not uh, been through one day. Uh, in, an, in a Palestinian West Bank uh, community to understand how, how how the everyday life, how every aspect of your life, you'd breathe differently. They don't understand that.
0: So how difficult, uh, just one or two more questions, but how difficult is it for you to live, you, you, to you to live as an Israeli, right? You you go and uh, see these things, right? You work on these things, you try to change these, and then you go back and I imagine you go uh, to the grocery store yeah. you' every you're talking to people who I imagine free of you had how, how how much of a stranger do you feel in your own society and how do you manage that
1: I think I I feel it, it you'll it will find it strange but I feel the opposite I feel that I that I um, speak both languages I feel that I understand and know what a certain event would how it would be interpreted by you know what the average Israeli, if there is such a thing, or how Israelis would see something that happens, and I understand, and I understand more than other Israelis how Palestinians would see the same uh, scene. Um, so, in that respect, I think I I, I have a, a more holistic and more wide view and understanding of what's going on. But yes, yeah, sometimes it drives me crazy. If I go on a Saturday and it happened to me, I remember a specific uh, uh, incident that I went to visit uh, uh, clients in in, in one of the enclaves of the separation uh, barrier. And they were just, you know, it's the, it's, there are also degrees of occupation. You know, there there are those who live under the most severe occupation. They don't, they can't move uh, uh, without uh, the army approving uh, them to take a step. And I spent some hours. I actually, went there with my wife because it was a Saturday, so that was our Saturday uh, um, time time together. We went there and uh, we drank coffee with them, and we spoke, and we heard, and we looked, and then we came back. And because it was Saturday, there was no traffic. So in fifteen minutes, we were in the center of Tel Aviv, and the cafes were full. And that I remember. I th- I thought to myself that that we both we discussed. It, it just it, this it, that. Such a big change in 15 minutes, so close. People don't know what's happening 15 minutes drive from there. It's a different world. And, you know, the, the, my 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 desire, my my dream is to be able to have all those people sitting in the cafe go with me and see for their own eyes. This is why Breaking the Silence is so persecuted, because that's what they do. Thousands of Israelis go with them to their uh, magnificent uh, uh, um tours in south mount hebron in the city of hebron and that is the 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 biggest threat to to the policies of the israeli government today and the and and the settler lobby
0: so the last question i wanted to ask you is i wanted you just to sketch to uh, to sketch some potential futures you if you think um, if you would imagine where we will be 5 10 years from now even 20 years from now What do you think are the different potential paths that could lead us into which different places?
1: I don't know how long it will take, um, but um, it is my not only belief, but my um, deep, um, rational, uh, logical um, um, conclusion that the occupation will end. By saying that, I didn't say yet a good thing, because um, because it can end in different ways. But it's important to say and to acknowledge that there is a good chance that the occupation will end. And it's important to say, why? because we need to think of the day after.
0: Many well, we're saying we need to think we about it, it need... doesn't mean it will, right? I mean, no. why do you believe it? Why, why, uh, why must it end? No,
1: I, I thought you asked me, why, do I think that we, why, why is it important to know that yeah. it will end? Yeah. Why will it end? Why will it end? Because, um, because regimes that uh, subjugate millions of people um by almost by definition are not stable even if they seem to be stable they're not stable they need constantly to oppress these people um assuming that uh, that the human character um is um, um is one that hates to be subjugated and hates to be uh to to be to live in a in a in a conditions of uh, of um um, of not have, having uh, uh, independence and freedom there will always be elements in the Palestinian uh, society that would uprise that would uh, Struggle and fight against the Israeli occupation and so the so it, so this regime would always have to oppress uh, Palestinians and this vicious circle will continue uh, without and uh, until the occupation will end and so almost by definition, this kind of regime is, is subject to a constant violence and constant uh, um, rift and con- constant uh, uh, shaking. Um, and so it's not by chance that uh, you, we saw that uh, last year we had both uh, the regularization or the confiscation law being passed by the Israeli parliament, confiscating lands, uh, private lands of Palestinians to enable uh, the, the retroactive uh, legalization of outposts. And at the same time, uh, the Security Council, the UN Security Council, has made its uh, historic uh, resolution uh, about uh, the illegality of, of the settlements and the need to end the occupation. And, and so it, what it shows to me is that everything is, is, is shaking. There's no the, the waters are not calm. And it's true that uh, the changes in, in America um, have been very uh, obstructive to the trends that I have seen uh, prior to, to the elections here, which were very clear that a lot of pressure is being mounted on Israel. The international, uh, the international civil, civilian, uh, civil uh, community, civil society, the international civil society uh, is so different than it was 10 years ago, definitely 20 years ago. I see it when I travel to America, to Europe, of course, but even America. You've, you know, I've been here 12 years ago on my first advocacy trip and uh, i went to to uh, law schools and uh, together with um, colleagues of mine uh, human rights uh, um, activists and and lawyers and the degree that it was difficult to express criticism of israel back then i've been now to to the us for uh, for a while and i've been also going to campuses and to uh, other places if you're if you're in a room with people under 30, it's difficult to say good things about Israel. And I think that, that the, the mounting pressure on Israel and together with the diplomatic pressure, I mean, um, yeah, America is, uh, is going some, through this, some very bizarre phase, but, but Europe is very clear about, uh, about the settlements and about the occupation these and, and, and the differentiation process and the businesses. Look, today, if uh, if, uh, if an Israeli businessman wants to build a new plant or open new offices, economically, it's the the most uh, wise decision would be to do it in the occupied territories. He or she will get uh, subsidies and cheap labor, but this is a huge headache. It is difficult to go abroad and do business saying that you come from Maledo, Mim, or Iwan. So I think all of these things are mounting, and eventually eventually um, the reality would have to change. And I know that it sounds uh, uh, like a fantasy because everything seems very solid now and everything seems like uh, there are no signs of this monumental change that I'm talking about. But uh, if you look at history, um, such historical changes many times happen, not linearly, but uh, but in a single day because the cracks are forming underneath
0: the surface and we don't see them, these cracks. Right, right. So... So, okay, so imagine then, and this will be the end, but imagine the day, imagine what happens after. So this is, I think,
1: uh, you know, people think I'm crazy enough to say that the occupation will end. And, there, and, then, and then, I, then I really hit them when I say, okay, we have to think of what will be on the, in the day after. Because many bad, uh, um, bad regimes um, um, ended, and bad regimes came instead of them. So we do have to think of what's next. And um, and it's up to us. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, a member of of, uh, of an initiative called uh, uh, One Homeland, Two States, which is, thinks of a two-state solution with some kind of a federative element in it, which would uh, also secure open borders and freedom of uh, movement and uh, work and the residency uh, for Israelis and Palestinians in their neighboring country and shared institutions like a binational court of human rights and things like that. And again, I have to say, I know that some people would hear that today and would think that I'm that I that I probably uh, took some drugs or something or some substances. Uh, But I want to remind uh, the listeners that um, uh, if someone would say back in the beginning of the 50s to a Frenchman that in a few years, a German uh, national would be could freely enter France, live in France, work in France, they'll have one currency and so on. And they, uh, mind you, the French and the Germans shed mud, m- much more blood, a, a lot more blood than-, than Israelis and Palestinians. So back in the 50s, it seemed like uh, like a fantasy, and like uh, that if someone thinks that uh, they should be kept in asylum, and it happened. So I think that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is not um, less; is not more. Uh, sorry, is not less solvable than uh, the animosity that uh, Europe has experienced. And I think that um, the biggest uh, uh, um, um, uh, mistake that the Oslo architects have made is to think that we can create two states with a big wall between them. Israelis would stand and look to the west and with their backs to the wall, and Palestinians would look to the east with their backs to the wall, and they will never meet each other again And they will never hear about each other again. No, this is a very small piece of land with a lot of uh, history. And all the people that live there want to know that this would remain one land.
0: Michael, thank you very, very much. Thank you, Peter. That was a real pleasure.